Hello and welcome to the Interfish Podcast, where we bring you the week's most interesting and compelling seafood news. I'm Editor-in-Chief Drew Cherry, and I am joined today by Executive Editor John Fiorillo. It is our All-American Seafoods uh, edition, so uh, we're going to explain to you why that is. Uh, in just a moment, we are in the midst of reporting on uh, an extremely complicated story uh, with some extremely uh, large implications for not only the Alaska Pollock uh, uh, industry, but um, but downstream as well. Everything from fish fingers to uh, filet fish to to all kinds of uh, all kinds of products. Um, uh, could be affected by uh, by the outcome of uh, of of the the latest events. So, John, tell us what has happened with American seafoods in the uh, in the recent days, uh, and, and what exactly uh, makes this um, this story um, so so important uh, and so consequential. Yeah. So to understand this, you have to understand a little bit about the. Uh, Jones Act, the U.S. Jones Act, which is um, either you love it or hate it if you're in the maritime world. But in this particular case, um, the Jones Act in part requires that cargo shipped between two U.S. ports must be transported by what they call a coastwise qualified vessel. And all that means is the vessel has to be built, owned, and flagged in the United States. So you can't take a foreign vessel from Alaska and cruise fish down to Seattle and drop it off. It, it, it can't work that way. However, American and others have been operating under an exemption in the, in the Jones Act for quite a while. And it's known as the third proviso, but that's not important. But what this does is it waives that requirement of using just a U.S. vessel um, if you're shipping product uh, between two U.S. ports, you can use a foreign vessel as long as the route utilizes a Canadian port and Canadian railroad um, <laughs> to um, to move the product, uh, you know, into Canada and then into the U.S. So that's the I don't want to call it a loophole, but yeah, I guess you could call it. That's the loophole they're using to basically take fish out of Dutch, put it on a foreign tramper, Panamanian flag vessel probably, uh, and bring it down. They bring it into Canada. Uh, they bring it through the Panama Canal into uh, New Brunswick. Um, and, and what they're supposed to do then is uh, put it on rail and uh, ship it to to the U.S. However, <laughs> what they're apparently doing, um, allegedly anyways, is getting it in New Brunswick, um, loading it on freezer trucks, um, you know, uh, big freezer trucks that go over the highway, and... Um, and then putting it on flatbed rail cars, moving it a hundred feet or so and back, and then the trucks roll off and off they go to to the U.S. So the optics on that are really bad because it looks like they're just kind of going through the motions to <laughs> to satisfy the loophole that they're uh, exploiting. Um, 
so yeah, and that's kind of the essence of where things are. So they got hit, and not just American. We're talking about all the major Alaska companies that are shipping product primarily uh, down here. Uh, all the all the um, shipping companies that touch it, anybody that touched the fish in this equation, trucking companies, whatever, they've all been hit with fines um, that. You know, nobody knows the exact total, but they're likely in excess of 300 million. And uh, American probably has, you know, the largest percentage of, of those fines right now. So um, people are scrambling. People are really worried. You can hear it when you talk to some of them. A lot of them won't call us back. Um, obviously, there's legal implications. So anything they say is you know is is delicate so it's um it's it's an interesting situation to say the least okay that's where we are as of right now but of course there's a lot that hangs in the balance here so you reported today american uh is likely going to file an injunction to uh to possibly um, keep the U.S. Customs and Border Patrol from, uh, or, or allow them to release their fish and maybe stem these fines for a while. But the, the release of the fish is really critical, or that's a, that's a critical point of, of, of what we're looking at right now, because that fish um, is destined for the U.S., the eastern seaboard, and that is your, well, primarily one of the big ones, of course, is Gorton's. Um, and that is um, the, the product that gets to uh, Gorton's from Dutch. I mean, that has to flow straight through those lines. There's not a lot of freezer space. Where it's not like they have enough fish sitting in freezers to, to move, you know, to, to, for months of fish fingers. And there's other, obviously, other major processors there as well and I don't know which ones of those are also getting um, some of that product but um, I mean it, it, you know eventually there's there's companies um, you know maybe maybe uh, groups like McDonald's that could even be affected as well right because this product ends up getting into all across the US market into all kinds of different products yeah absolutely anybody that uses Alaska Pollock for whether it be a fillet of fish or a fish stick, it, you know, they are likely to feel pain if this product isn't put back in, in circulation, so to speak. And just to be clear, the product has not been seized. The customs people have not seized the product or anything like that. The product is not moving out of uh, New Brunswick because no company wants to touch it right now because anybody that does opens themselves up to potential fines uh, from from customs related to this. So, you know, how long I, I don't know. I, I don't know any of the answers to this, but how long can you were referring to how long can Gorton's go without, you know, its routine shipment of Pollock to make its products. I have no idea. How long can McDonald's go? I have no idea. I don't know what their their inventory is or anything like that. But you got to think it's it's not forever, right? They they need a steady flow of products. So um, yeah, and that that gets interesting. Now this this um, restraining order limited or 
you know, this restraining temporary restraining order that they're uh, reportedly going to file today in Alaska court will probably, I'm being told by sources, will probably get them uh, a 10 days, 20 days of breathing space where the fines will will cease, you know, they'll just put a freeze on issuing new fines and the product will then be able to flow out of there. They, <laughs> the work to get a larger long-term injunction against these fines will be a whole nother matter, um, is what I'm being told. So, um, yeah, I, we'll have to see. We'll just have to see what happens over the next day or two, I guess. Now we've got uh, our our partners, our our sister publication at Trade Winds, and they cover the uh, the shipping uh, the shipping industry, um, and they know a whole lot more about the Jones Act than than we do, um, and they've worked on this as well, and are working on this as well, which is um, which is going to be really good news for our our, our readers and, and people who are trying to stay on top of it. Um, but one of the things that they were able to track down for us was. Uh, this this vessel um, that went from Dutch and is now sitting in the port of Bayside, it's uh, called a... I'm not going to be able to pronounce this correctly. I apologize to the to everybody out there. Hsiang Hao. That's H-S-I-A-N-G. Next word, H-A-O. And that is now sitting in the port of Bayside. Um, and it's been there, docked on August 30th, apparently. We're not fully 1,000% sure what is on that. If frozen fish is on there, that's what it says in the Port of Bay side. Now, we don't really know at this stage what the status is, whether and how that's being unloaded and what, what's going to happen with it. But, um, but we'll, we'll be looking at that and, and trying to figure out exactly, um, you know, ex exactly more about that vessel itself and about that process because like you said, John, and, and what um, what I've heard as well is that nobody really wants to get involved uh, in in touching this stuff, and so um, it'll be really interesting to see kind of what you know what what that what they do with that product during this period of of worrying that if you touch it, you're violating the the Jones Act uh, and subject to fines. So um, yeah, that's going to be interesting to watch. Yeah, and I mean, there's so many angles to this right now because what will, what does this mean for the Jones Act? Because I'm I'm pretty sure this is going to get um, you know coverage outside our world, and you know the Jones Act has been kicked around like a can for a long time. Like I said earlier, you either love it or you hate it, and um, so uh, that that'll be interesting. I, I think the other interesting is thing is. What does this mean for American? You know, here's a company that's been looking for uh, new uh, uh, long-term investors since 2019, February 2019, and they've, you know, they've gone uh, down the road with some suitors a little bit, but nothing's materialized. And um, you know, the 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 word on the street, so to speak, is that they're asking a lot of money for this company and uh, the buyers feel it's overvalued well this doesn't help you know uh this is potentially a massive um uh, amount of money they they could have to pay and plus all the <laughs> all the problems associated with it so i don't know i i don't know what it means in the end for american but it 
feels like it's it's just another kind of bad moment for them in 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 this case right i mean it's it's uh it's certainly not going to help um and we've had some sources tell us that it is right now among the things that american is looking at that it's still got some suitors or at least still trying but it's also looking at uh at um possibly doing a specialized uh acquisition vehicle move uh it's called a spac and it's basically a, a public company uh, a shell of a public company that acquires a a company so it's kind of a, a way to skirt getting around the complexities of doing an ipo um you know if you do an ipo if you're going to be publicly listed you're going to need transparency in a lot of it um and so they're going to need to to um to to really um talk about this now when they've gone out with their Prospecti, apparently, this has been one of the things they've really highlighted. So as they've gone out shopping it, as they've gone out talking about uh, talking to people about the SPACs, so what they have done is is pointed to this logistics relationship um, and, and how this has given them an advantage, uh, you know, among other companies. Although, as you said, John, other companies do it. Um, American seems to kind of have perfected this or maybe the first ones to kind of figure out uh, how, how, to, how, to, how to do this uh, cost effectively. Um, just a, a question for you, though, following up on that, um, because this is a, an important thing, but we had talked a bit earlier about the costs and you were just on the phone with, well, you've been on phone sources all day, but you were on the phone talking to somebody uh, and, and had asked a few people about the, the cost. And I, I thought that was really interesting because I think um, the first question that, that comes up, I think, in most people's minds that aren't in the Pollock sector um, is really it's cheaper to take product from Dutch Harbor down through the Panama Canal and up into New Brunswick to get to the east coast of the, the U.S.? Yeah, <laughs> and the short answer is it's considerably cheaper. I don't have numbers. Uh, I'm, you know, obviously working on that so we can compare. But I, everybody I've talked to, and I've talked to at least seven people specifically on this cost thing, and they they literally kind of chuckle and they're like, "Oh yeah, no, it's considerably cheaper." So I don't know what that means, but you know, it's it's worth keeping in mind that this is not something new that American and the others have been doing. They've been doing this for years, and I mean like ten plus years. So, um, you know, I, I I don't run a company, but you wouldn't do something for that l length of time if it if it was costing you you know more than uh, doing it a different way. So. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know the exact numbers in any way yet. Uh, hopefully, I'll figure them out. But um, it's it, it's sizably cheaper. <laughs> it doesn't make sense to me, but it's sizably cheaper. So what what do we not know uh, right now? So we've been kind of this 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 morning. We've been um, kind of marshalling our forces, and among all the other things that we have to cover, um, this has sucked a lot of oxygen out of our newsroom. Um, so we, we spent a lot of time on it, but, but what else just to, to let people know kind of our next steps and, and what we, what we're trying to, to find out and what, what we, um, what we're after for our next steps in our story. Yeah. I mean, we're not, we're still not sure whether, um, what, what prompted customs to, um, you know, do this right now, because 
this wasn't a secret. This isn't something that's been a secret. I mean, there was a case in 2005 where the exact same thing was, was being done and customs knew of it and it was allowed. Um, so this, what triggered this is one thing we don't know, whether another shipping company got angry and kind of, you know, put its foot down and said, hey, you guys need to do something about this, whether it's the new Biden administration wanting to, um, you know, flex some muscle uh, in, in this area for some reason. Uh, we don't know that. We also don't know, like, what might be the ramifications at American uh, or any of the other companies as far as, you know, the management. Like, I mean, was did everybody in these boardrooms know this was being done? Probably, I don't know, but let's assume maybe they didn't. Are, are you know, are are some of the execs um, vulnerable to dismissal over something like this? I mean, the money is sizable enough that everybody that I I talk to is very very panicked. I mean, it's it's you can feel it. So. Uh, those are two things that I don't know that I'd like to know. And, of course, the costs, as we mentioned before, um, you know, going that that route through the canal instead of down to Seattle, dumping it there and sending it, you know, across on U.S. rail. Like you said, in the maritime community, a lot of people are, are very much, um, especially in the business world, you'll see the Wall Street Journal and a lot of other groups really um, advocating for the removal of the Jones Act completely um, and kind of pointing to all these uh, continued issues that require dispensations and things. Um, you know, pointing out just one example from a few years ago, Fisherman's Finest uh, had built, uh, that's a Seattle-based um, fishing company. They had built a new vessel and it turns out, you know, there was a, there, there's a provision that uh, I don't remember the exact percentage, but there's only a minimum percentage of steel that can be used in a vessel. Uh, they had, uh, unbeknownst to them, they had used a, a little bit more than was um, than was allowed of non-U.S. steel. And then suddenly you're in violation of the Jones Act and you're paying fines or you can't put the vessel in the water or whatever it might be. So they did get a dispensation for that from uh, at, at the urging of um, uh, some of the senators here in Washington. Um, and and, I, and I, I guess, you know, and so far, our reporting, we haven't heard back at all from uh, the, the offices of the senators, Lisa Murkowski, um, uh, Patty, Patty Murray, um, and, uh, and, and others that we've reached out to. Um, so that kind of tells us maybe... At least for now, the the lawmakers aren't really getting involved, which um, you never know what other things they need to prioritize right now and what other what other dealings in the in the smoky rooms all these senators and congressmen need to be um, you know focused on. But um, I'm sure there's a lot of calls being made. Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned that because the Alaska delegation was successful uh, last year. Um, getting uh, a waiver <laughs> with the Jones Act so that cruise ships could skip uh, stopping in Canada and go directly, uh, you know, these are foreign vessels, go directly to uh, Alaska from Seattle. And they, you know, they fought for it and they got it. It's a temporary thing, kind of COVID related, obviously. And I think it expires next February. But so, <laughs> you know, I, I don't think they're really 
chomping at the bit to jump into this situation on the seafood side because it looks a little weird. And the last thing I'll just point out is um, the largest fine that um, Customs has ever, or the Department of Justice, I get, has ever levied related to the Jones Act is $15 million. And it's, I won't go into the details. The fines right now, <laughs> according to everybody I know and, you know, people who should know, are in the hundreds of millions. So the difference is massive. And it, I, I don't know what that means. I don't know the significance of that or if it's significant at all. But it's it's alarming, you know, 15 to 300 million. That's that's a big uh, gorge to to get across, you know. <laughs> well, and I'm assuming that, you know, as as time goes on and as people uh, as it starts to get more attention that 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 fine will will likely come far down during the process of negotiation but you know that can take a long time too i mean this is going to hang over this isn't going to be immediately uh dismissed um at least it doesn't seem any indications that that we've heard that it's going to be immediately dismissed and so this is going to be a story that we'll be tracking for quite some time. So keep your eye on the, on the site as we, uh, as we stay on top of it. Now, uh, coming up next week, uh, a reminder, on September 9th, we have our 2021 Salmon Summit. We have an incredible lineup of panelists. I am really looking forward to this. We have some of the most experienced executives in the salmon farming sector and we are going to be able to hit on all kinds of issues that are going to be affecting the future of the uh, of the industry. Last week was a huge one for salmon uh, when uh, Salmar, the Norwegian salmon farmer, uh, partnered with Acker Group, uh, owned by Norwegian billionaire Shell Ingeruka. And fun fact, actually, uh, former owner of American Seafood, so it all ties in. But those two came together to uh, to launch a new offshore salmon farming company, and um, and again, just one more sign that the industry is moving into the future. So we'll be able to hit on all kinds of topics, from branding to sustainability to digitalization to uh, to uh, consolidation. So again, go to intrafishevents.com if you want to sign up. Uh, and don't forget, you can go to interfish.com for our newsletters. Uh, if you're a subscriber, you can sign up for our news alerts. Um, and we're, of course, covering all manner of topics on the seafood sector there 24-7 from all of our bureaus. Thanks for joining us. We'll speak to you next week. <laughs>